right, welcome everybody. Glad to have you here with us worshiping. And uh, if you've been here before, you know that we're all about discipleship. And I think, I don't know how many of you remember, uh, two weeks ago we had a few of the youth come up and help us define what is a disciple. Hopefully you're remembering two weeks ago. No? Um, well, I'll help you out because there's, there's this slide here. Our definition here that we use at Grace is that a disciple is someone, a believer that is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus, okay? Seems pretty simple, but, you know, we're, we're trying to, you always have to keep things simple, right? Things that you can remember. But what does it mean to be changed by Jesus? What does that really mean to you? Because as simple as it might sound, I mean, we can put these words on, <laughs> on a page and we can talk about being changed by Jesus, but it's not that simple. You see, being changed by Jesus is a transformational process, a complete transformation done only in the power of the Holy Spirit. As he begins to change who you are, every day of your life becoming more and more like Christ, to the point that our character is his character. Because what we're going to see today is that character counts, okay? And I'll give you a little uh, example, a little story to get us started. Um, for centuries, Chinese emperors had all these wall-building projects, okay? And they spent time after time, you know, setting up these projects. And many of you know and have heard of, you know, different projects around wall building, right? And um, might recognize this slide up here. But the Great Wall of China was one of those projects. Its main goal was to protect and preserve the culture and the people of China, right? And as, as we've seen pictures like these, it, you know, it's a, an amazing feat, I, I think. I, I've never been there. I know my in-laws have but it's a tourist destination. You know, people love to check it out. But here, here's what it is. It was more than just a tourist destination, obviously. It served a couple strategic uh, purposes. So obviously, you know, during battle times, they would use these towers on the wall to, to send quick signals that could race along uh, the, the, the length of the wall to get signals, you know, to different parts of the army. They would also rush reinforcements and supplies to where there were weaknesses. Um, there were many different functions. But, but um, structurally, the, the Great Wall of China was impenetrable. It was huge, right? You know, it can be seen from space, they say. It was, you know, too tall to climb over, too thick to go through, and too long to go around. So it kept out invaders. And, you know, I know we've been in Nehemiah, um, this is a little bit larger than Nehemiah's wall, but they serve the same purpose, to preserve and to protect. But the, the Great Wall of China failed. I don't know if you know your history, but you know, over, the first 300, or over the first 100 years, it was attacked three times and, and, uh, and you know, enemies got through. And I don't know if, if you've you know, heard the stories, but it wasn't through any breach in the wall. Not one of the invasions came through a breach in the wall. Instead, each time, the enemies bribed the soldiers at the gate and walked straight through. 
You know, so, it, you know, it's that lesson that we all can learn that your defense is only as good as the character of the people that are in charge of it. You know, the Chinese put all of their, their stock into the, the structural parts of the wall, and they didn't pay as much attention to the character of the people. And that is what counts the most. And so what we're going to see today, we're going we're gonna to crack open Nehemiah 7. We're just heading into halfway through the book. And what we're going to see is the wall is finished. It's completely finished now. And now it's time to preserve and protect what the Lord has given them. Okay? But Nehemiah, as opposed to the Chinese, actually knew that it was the character and the heart of the people that counted the most, not just the walls that they had built. And we, we uh, last week saw that Nehemiah was an administrative genius. He was a great leader, right? He spent a lot of time planning for the success, building the wall, and then God got all the credit for the miraculous work that, that he did through his people. And it was, you know, it was amazing. But we quickly saw that there was no happily ever after in this part of the story, right? Immediately, we were seeing that there were enemies, there were traitors. Um, we know that there was more work to be done. You know, God wasn't finished with just the walls. You know, he wanted them to be preserving and protecting what he had given them so that they would be ready for what's next. And as we're going to see in future chapters, God is building a, a spiritual revival. You know, and I know a lot of people pray in America for a spiritual revival. Um, we'd all love to see that. And what was going on here is that God had brought them back for that purpose. And they had to be ready. So what we're going to see today is Nehemiah prioritizes three specific things to get them ready. And we're going to crack those open right now as we turn to Nehemiah 7.1. And this is one of those amazing things. You can get three really good points out of three verses. That's how awesome God's word is. And uh, Nehemiah is, is full of, of godly wisdom. We read, Now when the wall was rebuilt and I had set the doors, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. Now, that sounds really bland and simple. But the first order of business that Nehemiah tackled is that he set up the temple personnel so that worship could become a priority again. Okay? Up until that point, you know, the city wasn't prepared to, to head back into worship of the Lord. They were too busy fighting for their lives, right? So the goal was to get them back to living worship-centered lives. That was their purpose. And so Nehemiah you know, set up the gatekeepers, the singers, the Levites. And normally those roles, if, if you look back in the Old Testament, those roles would normally be just assigned to the temple, just to the temple service. But Nehemiah had them assigned to the whole city. He spread them out. And think about the message that would send. And I, I want to show you this next slide you know, think about the message you see, the singers and the Levites, they're up on the walls, they're surrounding the whole city of Jerusalem. And when you walk in, who do you see? A singer, a Levite. You, you, you're connected to the purpose of that city. That city was meant to be the holy city of God, dedicated to worship, as we are to be dedicated to worship. And back in their culture, you know, songs especially, 
you think about it, song and, and music, it was not just entertainment for them. It was extremely important. So these roles, you know, the singers, the musicians, they were extremely important roles. Um, just read through, I love reading through First Chronicles 25. You see how David prioritizes, he spends tons of money, tons of time. He has, you know, hundreds of positions of singers and, you know, those who are on the trumpets and musicians and different instruments, all for the worship of God. That was the core of, of what they did. And if you read um, in Second Chronicles 5, his son learned really well from him. As Solomon dedicated the temple, so he finished the temple, huge task. He calls in the musicians, the Levites, the singers, and he has them lead the people in worship. And when we read in verses 13 and 14, it is while they're leading the people in worship that the glory of the Lord descends upon the temple. God came down and dwelled with his people as they worshiped him. So music was at the center of their lives. It was extremely important to them because it's extremely important to God and it needs to be extremely important to us. Each one of us were made for worship just like they were. And in fact, uh, Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, I know some, some of you know the beginning of this verse. It says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. We're to live worship-centered lives. And, and if you read through this verse again, it is a very orderly ecstatic and, and energe energetic way of living life together and singing and, and, and really making sure we're thanking God and worshiping Him every day for everything because He deserves, no matter what, our worship. Now, you know, I always think, for me, okay, in my relationship with God, what shows me that I'm getting closer and closer with God, more and more in love with my Savior, is the more I worship him. And, and if a year goes by, if we're, going, if we're going by life and we're not worshiping more and more throughout the day and throughout our lives, you have to ask yourself, what's going on? What's going on? And a lot of times people, and, and I've been there, you, you go through this experience and you're going through troubled waters, right? And you don't feel like worshiping. Most people don't feel like worshiping. You know, that's an enemy attack. I will tell you straight up, it is an enemy attack. He wants to isolate you from God. He wants you to turn from God. If trouble comes, oh, just, you know, hide your face. God doesn't care about you. That is when we need to worship the most. You, you cannot hide under the hurt. Worship is a weapon in those situations. And, and that is when we can grow the most. That is when we can know that the Lord is faithful. And we will be able to look back that he's faithful. And, I'll, you know, one example for me, my wife and I, um, when we lost our child, um, our first child, that was one of the most devastating times of my life as a Christian and it's still to this day. 
and, and I did not feel like worshiping most days. I didn't feel like worshiping. But I'll tell you, on the days that I did anyway, the times that I had tears in my eyes, but I worshiped, I sang songs to the Lord, I praised him for all things. Those are the times when I had such an intimate connection with the Lord that I've never had before. You know, that's when he shows up and he gives us comfort and peace and healing. And that is how you make him the center of your life because he deserves it. And think about how you're doing in that area. You know, some people worship just happens at church, right? That's it. You know, and you go through you know, day after day and, and, and you, you forget about it. But I, I want to really encourage you. Try spending time in music, in praise, in thanksgiving, throughout the day, through your prayers, but especially music. I want to highlight that music is something that God designed for our soul so that we can worship him. That is the original design of music. And that is what God wants us to do. Because if you worship him more and more every day, you will experience more and more joy in your life no matter what the circumstances. Okay? I mean, I know my wife has uh, told many a, um, a secret about me. I, I, like, I like to sing and listen to worship music when I'm working out. It is just in the beginning of the morning, I set my, my heart on the Lord. Most days I don't feel like it. <laughs> I just start singing anyway. And he opens up my heart and, 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 and fills it, right? And she hears me, and so do the kids, and I wake them up. And I don't know if my voice is good or bad, but we, Sharon was talking about music as well. And I remember, you know, a different story, a little bit more of a humorous story, where um, I, I met my beautiful wife. We were engaged, and um, she was a new believer and within a few months of us meeting and so forth. So we're engaged. She's a new believer. I was, I was a believer my whole life. And, you know, if, if you've... If you've been a believer your whole life, you don't even realize sometimes where compromise has slipped in, right? Sometimes until you, you, you know, you need some stark contrast to show you. And so you got a new believer, like, evaluating everything in life, like, what should I do? What does God want me to do? So she asked me, you know, we we're talking about our music. I had my iPod, right? You know, I mean, I know they're not that old anymore. Like, CD player, sure. I bought a car for my son and the, the person that sold it said, the CD player still works. I'm like, I don't think my son knows what a CD is anymore. So, But we had iPods, right? We, and so she's like looking through, you know, doing the whole circle scroll thing, right? If you can, okay. So she's looking through my music, and, you know, I have some really great, you know, uh, contemporary Christian, like Cayman's Call, third, you know, um, third day, Newsboys, you know, DC Talk, and all that stuff. Um, good traditional worship. I love, I love the songs that Sharon chose today. And then I had some like hard rock and, you know, heavy metal and all this stuff. And she was like, how can you listen to music that's filled with hate and anger? I was like, I don't know. I, mean, I didn't really look at it that way. And then she's like, I can't even believe your iPod works. It's like, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, well, aren't those two, like, musics, like, wa waging war inside of your iPod? Like, I was like, all right, don't be dramatic. But I said, I, I need that kind of music. I need it. Because I, I, I need it for my workouts. I said, how can you, like, pump iron to, like, Jesus loves me? 
Now, that might be true. It is really hard to do that. But I was missing a really important point. You see, music gets unfettered access to our soul. Did you know that? You know, we, we open up our, our mind, emotions, and our will to what we're listening to. It impacts everything we're thinking. I mean, think about how many teen suicides and you know, depression and anger and hate that's out there. It's fueled most times, fueled by, by music. And, 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 and you know, I, don't hear me wrong. Every single thing on your playlist does not have to be a hymn or a worship song. There is plenty of good music out there. But I will say this. There is plenty of bad music out there. There is plenty of, of, of stuff that should just never, you know, we should never let through our ears. And, and, and I, I'll tell you, it was a conviction for me to this day, and it really took a long time to really, you know, rid myself of things that I know that I was compromising in because music can really uh, change the game. So Nehemiah knew that in order to preserve and protect what God had given them, the, the victory they had gotten, they really needed to live worship-centered lives. You know, Romans 12.1, it's, it's our acceptable side of worship is, is our whole life. We're, we're to live a, a worship-centered life. And then we read in Nehemiah 7.2, he says, then I put Hanani, I've heard people say Hanani as well, Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than most. Now, Nehemiah knew it was time to share the burden of leadership, but he was going to do that very carefully. How many of you know the story in Exodus 18 of uh, Moses and Jethro? Not Jethro Tull. Jethro. I know we were talking about music. So they get together. Moses is kind of like showing them all the cool things that's going on. But, th but then Jethro learns that Moses is the only one leading all the people of Israel. And he says in verse uh, 17 and 18 of Exodus 18, he says, what you are doing is not good. He was, thought he was going to get a pat on the back. What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy. You cannot handle it alone. You ever get into a situation like that? Anyone who has led hundreds of people or lots of people you're going to wear yourself out if you're doing everything. You know the people that lead by like funnel, like nothing happens without me. I need to be at every meeting. You, you collapse. So Jethro gives him advice. And Nehemiah knows really well, you can't lead alone. So Jethro says in verse 21, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy, men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. He, he gave him great advice. It was two pieces of really wise advice that we all need to, to hear and learn as leaders. One, leadership is a burden to be shared. And I thank God that we know that at this church. We share the burden of leadership with many, with many. Uh, our elder board, 
our ministry leaders, our staff, we share the burden of, of, of ministry leadership. But the other thing, too, is you can only share that with godly people or it will all fail. And as I look back on my years of leadership, I'll tell you, I have seen quite a bit. I've led for over 20 years uh, in my life, and I've seen uh, really great examples. I've been blessed. I've been cursed and burned by various people. Some people, you know, you see them, they have a self-serving, self-promoting agenda, and you can't trust them at all, right? We've all, have you ever worked, don't raise your hand, have you ever worked for one of those bosses, or, 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 you know, hopefully not have been one of those bosses, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, And then I've, you know, served alongside of and, and, and have led with people who are just so gracious and have, a, have the right agenda. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing. But the character is what counts. That is what makes a difference, right? And I'll give you an interesting example. And I did fact check this because sometimes when I'm looking for illustrations, I'm like, is that real? Because I got to make sure that what I'm telling you guys is true here. Here are some statistics about a company that had a little over 500 employees. All right, I'm just going to read these off. All right. 29 were accused of a conflict of interest, all right, or dishonest behavior. 22, uh, workplace or ethical violations. 13, uh, people with uh, stock securities violations. It's an area near and dear to my heart. 17, fraud theft or bribery, five accused of uh, falsifying information, eight creating a hostile work environment, and five other federal crimes such as uh, handgun violations and various things. So anyone want to guess what company this is? (laughs) Yes. Somebody get him a candy bar. It is the 535 members of the U.S. Congress, according to uh, GovTrack.com website, and it's true. What's ironic about that, I think you all can feel this, is that these are the guys and and ladies who are telling us, you know, what we should and shouldn't do. They're creating laws and rules, and this is the reputation, this is the character of, of how they lead their lives. You know, now we might not have been able to choose really strong leaders, but Nehemiah did. Uh, he absolutely did. And we're going to see in, in this verse two that there are three specific important character traits that he wants to highlight. It, it's, it's most important that, that these people have character if he's going to share the leadership. <laughs> so first, he chooses the man he refers to as his brother, Hanani. And he chooses him as, a, as like a co-lead, a civil leader, because he's trustworthy. Now, some of you, if you've worked for a smaller company, you know, or even a larger company, you might be thinking, isn't nepotism like a bad thing in a company? Isn't that kind of something we all, all learn to avoid? But keep in mind, this is something you might not realize. When we talked about the timeline of Nehemiah, you know, it was just a few months ago that he was in Persia, living his whole life there. He just came to Jerusalem like four or five months before this very moment. So 
he doesn't have long-term relationships. He hasn't been able to test a lot of people out. He's probably gotten to know some of the people that, that you can trust and, and who you can't. But long-term relationships would be difficult for him. But he knew his brother Hanani. He knew him. And we know him from verse uh, 2, right, in, in Nehemiah 1, where we, we heard about ne Nehemiah's brother coming to tell him about the state of Jerusalem, how poor the conditions were. And the people had trusted Hanani to be a reliable messenger. So we see that that's, that's a very valuable character trait here. And as we talked about uh, in 1 Timothy 5.22 last week, we cannot be hasty in choosing leaders. You need to know people's character. You need to know, you know, uh, what's under the hood, so to speak. You know, especially when it comes to ministry, we take that extremely, extremely, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how, how serious we take that. When we talk about elders, leaders, teachers, you know, sometimes we put them through a ringer, but we want to make sure that we're not being hasty. We want to make sure that they're trustworthy, that, we that they have a long track record uh, that we can trust. And, you know, think about yourself. Is, is the word trustworthy something people would use to talk about you? Because we do need trustworthy leaders to help share that burden I mentioned. The second thing, uh, he chooses a man named Hananiah. And this guy was set up in charge of, like, the citadel, he was set up, you know, kind of like homeland security, military commander. So he had to be faithful. One of the things that he was, was faithful. And I think of, you know, as I, as I mentioned about church leadership and ministry, what we're also looking for in, in, in church ministry leadership is faithfulness that we would expect from other areas of our lives. Right? Think about it. If your car started, you know... Two out of three times, is it a faithful car? I think my wife is going through that right now. We're having some issues, so it's on my mind. How about if you're, uh, you know, your refrigerator, your water heater, it worked most of the time. Or if you show up to work four out of five days, would your boss call you faithful? You know, and similarly, if you attend here or you come here enough to show that you're interested but not invested... Are you faithful? If you call out on service, uh, you know, assignments or, you know, don't show up to your small group or things you've, you've committed to, is that faithful? It, it's just a question to ask ourselves, you know, because in our culture, you know, we've continued to get over and over again into these situations where we stretch ourselves too thin, we commit to too much, and then we're unfaithful. And faithfulness is extremely important in a marriage uh, in a church, in many relationships. And, and God values faithfulness, doesn't he? He values faithfulness. You know, if you think about Jesus' parable of the talents in, in uh, Matthew 25, what did the master say at the end? You know, well done, good and faithful servant. Because God has entrusted each one of you. Every single one of us have been entrusted with time, treasure, possessions, relationships, and we've each been entrusted with those. And as we read in um, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Paul says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. That is something 
we all need to be. And the last thing he um, uh, talked about as far as character traits is he selected Hananiah because he was a man who feared God more than most. It's something that really separated him. He stood out in that area. But, you know, here's the thing. What is the fear of the Lord? What is to fear God? A lot of people have a superstitious, strange, you know, like, you know, they're, they're scared of God striking them down or punishing them for things. It's like, that's the fear of the Lord. It's, you know, he's waiting for me to mess up, right? Or, you know, God's this, like, gruff character, unloving up there, you know, ready to look, uh, you know, displeasingly down on us poor souls. But that's not, that's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a relational component. It's, it's very relational. It means that you're so captivated by God, who he is, you're, such, you're so in love with Jesus that you would never want to do anything to displease him. You want to obey. You want to follow him. You want to give him glory. You know, like, you know, in an imperfect example is, you know, a child with a parent. They want to, you know, they, they want to show their parents, you know, what they've done. They want to please them. They don't want to dishonor them. And it's this reverential awe that we can have, that you can fall more and more in love with, with God, to the point where this fear of God becomes a mindset and a grid. It's something that you can help filter every thought, every action that you have. And, and, and it's really important because it starts to make you think, well, how are my finances? You know, how's that reaction that I had to my wife or how am I doing in my business? And it's a grid that helps us live this godly life. But it's a, it's a Christian thing. It's, it's not a thing of the world, the fear of God, right? I mean, think about it. You know, Paul said in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. This world doesn't care what God thinks. They're not considered you know, considering what he's thinking about their behavior. But it's this proper fear of the Lord, unfortunately, that is lacking in Christian societies now, too. We've kind of inherited that from our culture. Um, and, and partially the reason is because we, in America, like to focus on one side of God. And, and you know, it's one of those things where, you know, both are true. You, you think about, people will say, you know, God is... Love, grace, and mercy. And he absolutely is. He's perfect. Love, grace, and mercy. That's true. But that's not it, right? God is also just. He's righteous. He's holy. And that part of the truth should also motivate us to be the same. Right? You know, not to, to look a blind eye at sin. Romans 2.4 says... Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads us to repentance? It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and obedience. And, and, I, and I think about that all the time. Is it leading me to compromise or repentance? At Romans 6, 1 through 2, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? You know, sin should never be present in our lives 
for very long without confession. We, we cannot turn a blind eye. We should never be ignoring it. It should be uh, almost giving us a higher sensitivity and awareness of it. It should motivate us to clean up our actions and our attitudes. And it should reveal to us and make us really feel like the, the weight of the fact that what sin and bad habits and foul mouths and all the things we do, what that does you know, to our loving and holy Father. So that is a challenge for each of us. Now, the Bible talks a lot about fear of the Lord, Proverbs especially. King Solomon loved that topic. You know, he talks about all of the benefits of it. So for us as believers, it's not just that one-sided, obey, 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 that's it. There's also the benefit that you get from obeying. What does it do in your life? That's always important. The Bible says, you know, in Proverbs, it is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, right? You know, fear of the Lord gives us strong confidence, fulfillment in life. It does... Uh, wonders with our life. It's a fountain of life. It helps us avoid and hate evil and sin. And because of all that, uh, Solomon said that it's better than any treasure, and it's the beginning and true riches of life. And so for us, we have to ask ourselves, do we treasure the fear of the Lord in our lives? Because there's a lot of people out there that have what would many would say no, no practical talent. They might not be able to sing, can't do anything with their hands. Maybe they can't teach. That's fine. But if they have a fear of the Lord, and if they're faithful, God will bless them and use them tremendously. And there's a lot of people, on the other hand, that just have tons of talent, great gifts. But if they don't have the fear of the Lord in their lives, they are not going to see fruit in, in serving. So the last point we're going to talk about is that Nehemiah knew they had to remain watchful. That is really important. And we'll see that in Nehemiah 7, 3. He said, Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own home. So really just what we're seeing here is that Nehemiah is instructing them to take extra steps to keep the city secure. We know that there were enemies, traitors lurking about that were going to try to steal the victory they had, waiting to pounce on them. And we know uh, eventually we're going to see that the city was sparsely populated. So they were especially vulnerable to attack at this time. And so in peacetime, usually, you would, you know, leave the gates open, sunrise, close them at sunset. And that was normal. But he's instructing them to lock the doors only during the most busy part of the day. You can open them. But otherwise, lock them, bar them, keep the guards ready. Be ready. You know, he was there and wanted everyone to be ready to defend the victory that God gave them. And that is something that each one of us have to be ready for. To defend the victory God has given you in your life. He has given us so much. Are we ready? Because a lot of times, and I've seen it in my own life, you know, you, you, you have a victory, you know, you get distracted, and, it, and, it, and it's swept away. I, the verse, uh, 2 John 8, uh, you know, I remember, watch yourselves, it says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished 
but that you may receive a full reward. How, how do you stay watchful? How do we stay watchful? Well, it, it, pretty easy. It's, it's not really in practice, but it's easy, you know, answer is you just, you need to know what your temptations are, your weaknesses. What are they in your life? Think about what's, what is an area of repeated defeat in your life? Where is an area that you stumble over and over again? That's your weakness. That's what you have to remain watchful for. And then you have to set yourself up for success. You need to look at ways to protect yourself in those areas. Think about, is it, you know, who you're with? Is it being alone, where you are? And, and you've got to think about a strategy behind that. You need to be watchful. The enemy's, you know, he's ready. He's ready for you to be distracted. 2 Timothy 2.22, you know, Paul says, he gives us the advice. It's pretty easy. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's easy. Really, he's saying you flee from the sin. You flee from it. You have to have an escape plan because if you don't, you will fail. You will fail over and over again. Do not dip your toe in. Do not linger. Another thing that Nehemiah did is he appointed um, just civilian guards too. You know, the the city was spread out. There weren't a lot of guards. So he had some of the, the residents actually guarding and taking turns. And again, very smart guy. He says, that's your house. You guard here. Pretty simple, right? He's saying like, you built it, it's your stuff, your family, now protect it. You know, they would, they would be on heightened alert. And that's a great lesson. That's a great lesson for each of us. If God's people do not protect what he has given, the enemy will come and steal and destroy it. We have to defend what God has given us. And think about how important that is to us collectively. Have you seen church history for the past couple decades have you seen what's going on around us? Anyone? How, how many organizations, churches, seminaries, right? Denominations that have at one time defended the truth of Scripture that don't do that anymore, right? What did they do? They've let the enemy right through the front door. The character of their leadership their people made them vulnerable and weak. They weren't watching. They weren't alert. And that is why here at Grace Community Church, we are all focused on creating a discipleship movement that prioritizes the Bible, the Word of God. It prioritizes our families, right? We want to be disciples who make disciples who can defend our faith. That is how we remain watchful. Each one of your leaders, each one of your teachers, that is our goal. We are going to build up this church because every generation and every movement is just one generation from failure. History has shown us that. The Bible has shown us that with the Israelites. Just one generation away, and that is not going to happen here. We are going to remain vigilant. We are going to remain watchful and be ready. And so today... You know, the lesson we can learn is God is not just interested in us building stuff, right? 
as, as excited as I am and all of us are about the new space being built, that's, that's not what we're here for, to build cool things and have a beautiful building. And we do. We have those things. But that is not what we're here for. We're here to focus on our purpose, right? That we are meant to live worship-centered lives. That's our whole life. That's my dedicated service. And we need to live with godly character, right? We need to, to be fearful of God in the right way, trustworthy, faithful. And we need to ever be watchful for our families, for our church, and for the truth of the word of God. Because I promise you, when we do that, and we do that well, watch out for what God's going to do next. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. You are love. You are grace. You are mercy in perfection. You are also justice. You are also righteous and holy. And I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you. May we serve you in fear and faithfulness. May we be trustworthy watchful for what you have, have given us. Lord, I, I thank you for what you have given us here. You have blessed us with far more than, than I could ever have imagined. But let us be faithful, uh, watchful to protect. And Lord, we just thank you for the movement that you've created here. May we truly preserve and protect what you have given us. May we come in these doors every single time with a heart of worship, bringing us back as a corporate body for our main and only purpose to worship and serve you, Lord. We thank you. In your most precious name I pray, amen.